up for fear of any confusion. Neither of us are part of the New York bar, are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I was going to say, uh, please excuse the video. I think that's something to do with Adam's obsession with men and women in sharp suits. And, uh, so, uh, all good. But uh, um, we have with us um, uh, Ashley Burns' uh, Legal 500 Tier 1, um, I'll get the phrase right, Barrister? Correct. And uh, I think Saf in the last few minutes has won another award, but he is a, <laughs> he is a, a multiple award winning solicitor as well, and, and, and great to have you here. And we'll find out a little bit more about the great work that you do as well, and how your healthy obsessions are, are helping make a difference in, in the world that you work in as well. So, and by, by way of introduction, can you give us in the audience who aren't necessarily in the legal world a little bit of sense as to your role, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Ashley, if I could ask you to go first and then yeah, yeah, well, um, I don't know if people are aware of this, but in this country we have a double profession in terms of lawyers. Um, we have solicitors, and SAS one of those, and we have barristers on one of those. And what happens is that if you are in trouble or you need a lawyer, you will go to a solicitor. And if there is a trial in the offing, the or any sort of court proceedings in the offing, the solicitor will then refer the case to a barrister. And so the client has two lawyers. He'll have a solicitor and he'll have a barrister. And the barrister is the one that's in court doing the advocacy, wearing the wig and the gown and the, you know, the other faff. <laughs> and, um, the heavy lifting is done by the solicitors um, who are client facing and who you know, deal with all that kind of pressure and trauma and we deal with the sort of slightly more fast paced um, courtroom scenarios that, that are I suppose depicted more in, in the media but, but as I say the, the real work goes on um, in the solicitor's office. Okay. And, and success in your role actually? Um, for me uh, I suppose there's two aspects to it. Um, on the one hand a successful day in my office is when the right outcome is achieved. Not necessarily a win, okay. but uh, when justice is served, when the truth is told or the truth is uncovered, um, when weak people are protected, um, when corrupt people are exposed. But also, you know, from a selfish point of view, success is when I leave the courtroom and I go, brilliant, I, I nailed that. I was a complete legend today. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't always happen, but you know, that, that is the selfish truth of it. So, you know, sometimes success is, is all about me. Yeah. So, so Sap, I, I presume success for you is making Ashley look like a legend. Oh, she always looks like a legend. But <laughs> from your role, what, what success? What, 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 what do you sort of you know hold yourself accountable to in your role? Um, well, so as a as a, a lawyer, as a solicitor. Um, there is a lot of work that's done by us before it gets to Ashlyn, who uh, is the fencer in court and doing all the bits and pieces and doing it really well. Uh, but as a solicitor advocate, I'm a higher courts advocate, so I'm more often than I am not now in, in, in the Crown Court, also conducting um, trials just like Ashlyn. Uh, but, it, but it's right to say um, that when I heard earlier that the phrase um, that I live in hope that and yet to do my best work. I live in hope that every day is my best work because there's no way in which I can hold back and think, well, something might come in the future where I do my best work because if I do, somebody might go to jail, jail for eight years or 16 years or maybe convicted of an offence that perhaps they ought not to have been convicted of. And as a defence lawyer, uh, I have to live in hope that every single day, whatever I'm doing is the best that I can possibly do at that time, so that, that, that justice is served. Mm. And of course, 
you know, that I win. <laughs> so we can start getting a little bit of a sense of the competitive spirit that might exist here as well. Yeah. Well, it was all never supposed to happen for me. I was 15. I was expelled from every school in my tri-state area. I, um, as, a, as a real sort of um, last resort, I was told by my, my tutors at school that I was allowed to go and have some work experience in, in, in an office. And I walked into this office, not knowing what these people did at 15 in 1995, and just fell in love with whatever it was. I don't know what it was, but I just knew I loved it. Um, and, and I kind of worked up from an office junior, having walked out on the Friday, walked back in on the Monday as an office junior, and working up through the ranks of, of becoming a fee earner, becoming police station accredited to do interviews at the police station, uh, to qualifying as a lawyer, to making partners, becoming head, head of crime, to now owning that, that firm. And I've been with them ever since. That's the only job I've ever had. So it was never supposed to happen for me. So that spurs me on every single day when I'm in court with people who who are, are, are third generation lawyers, whose parents are Supreme Court judges, whose his husbands are lords, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, so. Are looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't your husband a silk? Yeah. <laughs> Queen's and, Council. And, and, and actually, so, you know, great, great to hear that background. Actually, what, what was your routine? It was, it was a little bit different. I come from a family which is sort of marinated in, in medicine um, three, four generations back. My mother and my father, my sister, my two brothers, all doctors. And I knew I didn't want to be a doctor and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but. It was instilled in me from a very, very early age that your occupation needed to be a vacation and not an obligation, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. And it never occurred to me that, that I might not want to, to love my work and, and want to do it all the time and, and it would become part of my personality, as it, and so it has. And one of the things I remember my father, who was a really busy and stressed out but very successful neurosurgeon, um, he said to me um, when I asked him, you know, why the hell he could cope with this and wanted to do this every single day of his life. It was in the Troubles in Northern Ireland in the 80s and he was coming home having treated people with gunshot wounds. And he said, look, um, go ahead and open a beach hut in Thailand if you want. Go, just do it. But you did not earn the capacity to help people. You, you were born with it. You are born with a certain intellect. And in my book, you are duty bound to use it to help people. And I've always, I've, I've stuck with that. And I can't, it makes <laughs> makes me sound a bit, a bit ridiculous and a, and a bit um, full of it, but I, I, I genuinely cannot not try and help somebody who is, who's being bullied or, or finds themselves in a weak position. And the people that we represent come and see us, they don't want to be there. They're at their lowest ebb. And, and these proceedings bring out the worst in them. And, and they turn to us for help and we can help them. And so we bloody well will. I don't think apologise for being full of it because I think if, if I were in that position I wouldn't want someone who was a little bit reticent about whether they would be. <laughs> but 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 it's, it's you know the, the personality bit and, and sort of you know the work becoming you you becoming the work and managing that balance as well that you know that that's obviously really critical and I, and I just want to you know Saf, do you feel pressure with with that kind of thing and how does pressure show up for you? Yeah, it, it's difficult because um, I term it as having two jobs. I have. My day job, which starts about 6 a.m. Uh, and involves me uh, picking up my laptop and my files and going to court and conducting a, a whole court case. And I'm generally there most of the day, if not uh, a, a number of days. Uh, and then I, I finish in court about 4.30 and I go back to the office and 
and then I start my, my night shift and that starts about 5pm and then that doesn't finish, as people will tell you, my partner who suffers through all of this, it doesn't finish till sometimes 2 o'clock in the morning and then, and then I'm ready for the next day. Uh, and interestingly, Keith once uh, said something to me that, that, that I didn't really know how to answer and he said, now that you've finished this case, it was a, a very complicated, long case that I was involved in, he said, how are you going to decompress? You know, how, how long are you going to take off? And I was like, I'm not sure what you mean. <laughs> we literally walk out of that at 4.30 on an evening and we walk straight into another intense two, three week trial uh, the next, the following day. And, and that it's just relentless, but it's a really positive relentless. It's amazing to be involved in that, to want to do your best work every single day and just be absolutely ignited by the fact that you're going to do your best work uh, and you and I were talking weren't we Ashley about um, going into a courtroom and knowing more than every other person in that room including the person who's there yeah. facing the charge. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's a pretty key aspect to it you know but to handle the pressure you have to meet the pressure um, and I think for most of us real pressure and stress comes from feeling a bit underprepared and feeling a bit ill-equipped and you haven't got enough in your bag to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And the way, to, the way to combat that, to my mind, is, like Faf says, to make sure you know more about this case than everybody else in the room, including the guy that is supposed to have done it. Okay, so, so you know absolutely everything. That, that deals with some of it. But for me, the real pressure of this job isn't in the courtroom, because I will have prepared for that, and I will have you know, honed my cross-examination, my closing speech, etc. It's when I walk out. And the family is there and there's always somebody crying and there may be a child involved there may be child victims there may be child witnesses someone's lied someone's lost something a family has been fractured um and everybody's looking at you to fix it and so you've just done everything you can for you, you come out you're exhausted i remember i was doing a case about 18 months ago where a man was charged with a very serious sexual allegation against a family friend and I came out of court and um, his wife, the defendant's wife, was in amongst all the other family and she started crying. She fell to the floor and nobody did anything. And I had, I was wearing my full robes and I had to pick her up and carry her to another, to a room and put her in a chair. And I sort of thought to myself, God, this, this is some day at the office, you know. Mm. I've been on my feet for two hours cross-examining somebody and I had to come, up, get that, come out, lift up a crying woman and carry her and deposit her into a chair. And so those kind of pressures are, are there, and they're there every day. Yeah, yeah, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. I'm interested in when the two of you are working together, because mm. obviously you don't work together all the time, but there are the, the, the beautiful moments when you do get to work together, which I know you love. Um, 100% success rate. I, I, knew you'd, no, I knew you'd remind me. No, I can say that with my hand on my heart. One, we have a 100% success rate. We have not yet lost together. That, so the story behind that, with that kind of pressure, do, do, does it make a specific difference when you've got sort of each other as part of the support team? How, how does that feel when it's sort of about sharing the load of the pressure? What, what roles do you play for each other in, in that context? Well, I think, I think it's probably like, like anybody in here who works as part of a team. A successful team depends on, on, on its members knowing their roles, knowing their own strengths and weaknesses, and, and having, having a good... Um, line of communication 
you know, so if, if, if staff has an idea, which, you know, which I think is, is great, and I'll tell them, and I'll deploy it equally, if I think it's bullshit, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them. <laughs> yeah, she has on countless cases, that's shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, no, think about it. It's that, it's, it's, people, it's people pulling their weight, but, but being realistic about their own strengths and weaknesses, I think, is really important. Yeah, I, I, I excel in uh, accumulating a, a lot of information and filtering that into something that I can give to Ashley, who then turns it into the most unbelievable piece of work. Uh, and we work very well together in that regard. I've always considered myself the power behind the throne because, of course, com coming into the profession as an office junior in the office and being an assistant to, to a lawyer and... Uh, and, and doing all of those things, I excelled at that. And if I could make the money that I'm making today, just doing that power behind the throne thing, I'd continue to do that. Um, so, so I excel at making sure, or, or I, I thrive off making sure that Ashlyn is, uh, has everything that she could possibly want to excel in what she is doing. Uh, and to watch her shine fuels me, because watching her in action, knowing that the information that she has is something that we pull together from... <coughs> You know, it could be a hundred thousand pages that we've turned into a twenty-page document that you then absolutely ruin your opponent with. <laughs> well said. <laughs> um, <laughs> talk to me about the preparation bit, feeling underprepared, and the pressure coming with that. What what's going on in the background so that you're able to go sort of into the spotlight, feeling as prepared as possible? What 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 are you going through that helps answer the questions, create the strength of argument? What What's the physical process? Well, for there? me, for me, the, the, the impulsion to, to, to thorough preparation is naked fear. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want I don't want to be shown up in my office. A mistake is very very public. Mm. I have no team in the mm -hmm. sense of if I'm on my feet. Of course, I have the team in the background. But when I'm on my feet cross examining, if I make a mistake or ask a stupid question or make a bad point, or forget some area of the law that I ought to know, that is my mistake and everybody knows it. And who wants to be shown up in that way? So, so fear, of, fear of exposure mm -hmm. is, is a real, is, 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 a, is a compelling reason to, to prepare. Um, but also, you know, coming back to that, the self-interest, I, 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 I want to look good. I want, I, want, I, want, I want people to think, yeah, she's, she's the best lawyer in this room. And I suppose supporting one another is really important because you have to know the person that you're working with sometimes better than they know themselves. We were involved in the case, do you remember? And um, we had the, the prosecution on one side and they were shuffling through papers and trying to hand each other notes and tapping each other on the back. And it was all really embarrassing and it was very distracting and it was awful. And Ashley and I were sat, well, I was sat behind Ashley and we had our laptops open and we always had a little icon going didn't we where we text one another and Ashley was cross-examining someone uh, and she was mid cross-examination and it felt like it was going to go a little bit too far and the court were going or the, or the jury were going to start to sympathise with the witness who they shouldn't be sympathising I was in danger of asking that one question too many too many so I had to tell her to stop uh, and it's, it's about knowing one another and it's respecting one another and knowing that one another has each other's back and will tell the other when they're going too far or if they're not mm. doing what they're supposed to be doing at that point. 
So, so, so they'll text of, okay, sit down and shut up. Yeah, stop. Yeah. But, but that's really interesting in the dynamic because it's quite, it's quite clear that individually there's huge levels of confidence, but there's still sufficient openness to have someone else yeah. influencing yes. and, and yeah. you know, you, you know, I'm hugely confident on my own, but yeah. I'm not blind to the, to the insight and, and brilliance of other people. Uh, yes, it's, um, uh, as a lawyer, you have to believe, or certainly I do, that, that I'm the best at, at what I do. And having won awards for being the best at what I do, uh, being the biggest uh, provider for crime in West Yorkshire, particularly, or, or working around the country, being involved in some of the most high-profile cases that this country's ever seen, the Crossbow Cannibal, a serial killer, um, terrorism jobs, the Manchester bombings, various cases that I've been involved in, not necessarily people that were involved particularly with the act itself, mm -hmm. but uh, involved there, being involved with those cases makes you just want to strive that much further, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't go around thinking that I'm brilliant. Um, I try to tell myself that. <laughs> I, I try to tell myself that because I think, as everybody knows, if you're confident, when you walk into a meeting or a presentation or whatever, it, can, it, it adds 10% to, to, to what you have to say. If you're totally crapping yourself, then you, you, it, it comes out and it, it doesn't really work. So you do have to try and tell yourself that. Um, but the, the worry, to me, the worry and the concern that I might not be the best is something that I need to keep me going. And, and I hold on to that. And, it, and it, it does cause me stress and it does give me, you know, my, my heart beats fast before I go into court. Um, it's fine when I stand up on my feet, but beforehand, it's it's a bit of a roller coaster for me. Working together is interesting because we then kind of don't feel like we need to be the best at that yeah. moment because we have each other, uh, and sometimes we can finish each other's sentences on, on, on points of, of law and know that we're going in the right direction but together. I'm usually right. <laughs> <laughs> It is sad, but it's true. <laughs> and so, just interested in tapping some of the cases that you've mentioned there as mm. well, and sort of thinking about all the pressure that comes with it. You know, what, what what do you see as the the role that you're playing when perhaps you are working with sort of people that we wouldn't want to meet and that we know are guilty? You know, how how do you position your role and your success in those, in those cases? Because obviously you've got a huge range of cases where you're defending people who, you know, who, you, who you're doing great work for who would otherwise not have a voice, but other times you're providing you know, that, that role in the, the legal system for people who need that representation. How, how, how do you sort of um, look at those different scenarios of people who you know that are guilty versus people who definitely aren't? But you're still... Are you asking how we represent people yeah. that we know are guilty? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that well, question. Well, I'm sure, I'm, no, I'm sure you've not, but, but I'm interested in that. That's the only question we ever hear. Yeah, how do you get ready for it? You know, is it a differentiated approach for you? Is it the same? What, what Look, I, I, think, I think that, that you have to understand that the, the, the work that we do turns us into somewhat desensitised people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm going to be leaving here this beautiful venue, these beautiful people, this nice environment. Uh, and I'm going to go back to the north, and tomorrow morning I'll be in a seven-handed gangland murder where somebody was tortured, and I was watching the videos in respect of that. But it desensitises you because I'm not, <coughs> I'm not there necessarily to, to, to secure an acquittal. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm there to do the best that I possibly can in those circumstances. 
to fit that person at that time, taking into account the evidence. And so if you're asking how, how do we get ready to do that, you have to remember that we swear an oath to protect and uphold the law. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to ask yourself this question, if it, was a, if it was you or a member of your family and they were accused of doing something that they may or may not have done, or you may have done it yourselves, um, wouldn't you want the best in that situation? Or would you say, no, I don't want a lawyer, I'm going to go into that courtroom, I'm going to, I'm going to accept everything that's uh, alleged against me, I don't want to fight for, for my... Let, let, let's make it absolutely clear. We don't go around giving guilty yeah. people instructions about what they say. Yeah. They tell us whether they did it or not, and we assess the evidence and tell them whether or not they should plead guilty. Most of the time, if I have a client against whom the evidence is overwhelming, I am pretty well equipped to persuade them that they should take their medicine. Um, in, uh, on the occasions where the evidence is strong but they still want to go to trial, I will advance the defense that they give me in its best possible light. That's my job. Mm -hmm. We're there to make sure that it's just not a walkover for the prosecution in order to safeguard the process for those times when an innocent person is in the dock so that there is a check mm. and a balance and a, and, a, and a person in the shape of, of us who's there to make sure that they don't go to jail. Yeah, and, and that for me is a critical point because Absolutely. it is the consistency of preparation yes. for yeah. you to be yes. at the top of your game, whatever, whatever the conditions, whatever the scenario. Now. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the rigour and, you know, the commitment around doing that, I think that, that, that's a bit in the relentless world that you talk about as well. That's just so important to consider what it takes to keep being ready and keep delivering brilliance in, in all of those different scenarios. But when you love what you do, when, you're a, when you have this obsession with what you do, it doesn't feel like work. I mean, I actually sometimes wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm super excited and I can't wait to get out of bed to go to work because I love what I do. I absolutely love it. So when you say that there's this, this relentless, sort of constant ongoing event, it, it, it doesn't feel like that. You, you are spurred on by your, by your energy because you love what you do. And, and when you said that earlier, it kind of reminded me of, you know, working in endurance sport where you look at the training the athletes do and, and for, for, for us we kind of look at that and go how is that actually humanly yeah. possible but it is just their normal it's their baseline <coughs> and they have actually developed the capacity to, to deal with that as well so I think and, and it's good to know you get up at half five in the morning having a two and a half hours of sleep and yeah <laughs> absolutely it's, it's amazing I've got this sleep app on my phone that tells me that I'm sleeping for four hours and 24 minutes and nine on average said, very good but since, since meeting Pete it's gone up by 24 minutes <laughs> So, um, the, the, the audience bit's really important here as well. So, you know, we're talking about there's different audience moments, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, the, the, and different audiences. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, most, what most people here will be familiar with is a trial scenario. Yeah. So your, yeah. your target audience is the jury. Yeah. Um, but th there are many, many instances where, you know, you have hearings that are just judge alone hearings, maybe a legal argument or something like that. But the, but the difference for us, let, let's just take the, the, the jury trial scenario, the difference for us is that in our, in our restaurant or in our theatre, nobody wants to be there. Mm. <laughs> nobody, paid, nobody paid to come and yeah. listen yeah. to me talking. You know, they paid a lot. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, and, and, and you've got to factor that in. And, and yeah. worse, when I stand up, I'm representing that villain. Yeah. So everybody hates my guts yeah. on day one yeah. and it's my job to, to change that and that's an extra layer of pressure because you know it, 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 it's it's a captive audience but it's 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 not necessarily a particularly friendly one 
Do you remember that one case we did where that jury and Reading were just scowling at you at the beginning and by the end of it they were all sort of kind of giving you a little wave <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? I thought that, that woman fancied you. Like, <laughs> but but I, you know, I, I, that, that, that's a really important part of it, that, that appreciation of, of you know, the audience not wanting to be there, but what does that mean from a performance point of view? How do you prepare for that? How do you consider... You, you have know, to be realistic the, about it, yeah. you know? There's the, the bad lawyers think everybody, and also bad anything, think everybody is interested in what they have to say. You've got to proceed on the basis that nobody gives a crap what you have to say <laughs> and make, make it good. And, and don't, treat, don't treat people uh, uh, with, with anything less than the full respect they deserve. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that goes for any profession, it seems to me, or any walk of life. I think, I think preparing to be there when nobody else wants to be there means that you then have to produce a piece of work that then either gets somebody to become interested in the fact that they are there and have to be there and, yeah. and you are there also. So, I mean, you're great at that. I mean, do you remember that legal argument I watched you have with that, that uh, judge where the prosecutor seemed to be completely in the dark, had yes. no idea what you were talking about, yeah. and the two of you were just having this conversation. And it was phenomenal to watch. And that's because you were prepared. And given that nobody wanted to be there, that by the end of it, everybody was fascinated by what you had to say. So I think preparation is key. Yeah. And you have to be prepared when you walk into a courtroom. Because if you don't, somebody else will be more prepared than you. And if they're more prepared than you, you're not going to know what's going on or you're going to be caught out or you're going to look inadequate. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the questions I asked when we were, when we were chatting before. In, in terms of going into similar scenarios, how do you make sure that you prepare as if it's a novel scenario but with the confidence that I've been in similar situations before and I understand the lead? Because I guess there's a balance to be had there. Every case is, is different. Every okay. single case that we are involved in is different. No two cases are the same. No two legal arguments are the same. And you can't just rehash the you same can't, thing. You can't. You, you can't. It just doesn't. I mean, I once tried to... I, I, had, I had two cases that were factually quite similar and um, you know, it was three in the morning and I was putting together my closing speech and I, I remembered a, a, a paragraph from a previous closing speech that I thought was quite good. So I, I went searching for it to try and slot it in. I probably spent about two hours trying to slot it in, in which time I could have written something much better. Yeah. And it just showed me that, that you, it, it, it's, it's about individual application of, of, of facts to, to, to those individual scenarios. Um, and just think, thinking it through, thinking it all through to, to make sure that you have done it justice. Yeah. Mm. And, and in, in preparation, do you, do you run through loads of what-if scenarios oh, together? Do you, oh, what, what, what's the kind of, how, how, how much would well, you do me, with I mean, cross-examination, you know, you see these, you can't handle the truth, you know, there's cross-examination. <laughs> um, you know, the successful ones are the short, pithy ones. But what people don't realise is that preparing a cross-examination is like animation. Every five minutes of cross-examination takes three, four hours to prepare. Mm. And, and you, you prepare it by thinking of all the different things a witness might say. But you know what? There are people, and you can't cater for every eventuality. And that's where experience and a certain amount of talent um, and, and a certain amount of confidence comes in, so, so that you can actually go off piece if you have to. Mm. Um, but but it's it's you, you talk about uh, envisaging the scenarios or taking on what ifs and what yes, it's very much that the what if the what if. What if the jury thinks this? What if the jury thinks that? What if they watch the video? They don't see it like we do. Yeah. They don't see it like we do. Um, we then factor in a, 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 another 
another paragraph or another question or another series of questions to, to, to cater for that eventuality. And that's, again, that's treating the jury with respect. That, that's, that's giving them cr credit for having a mind of their own. You know, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. Reminding me of a uh, quote from uh, the modern great philosopher Eric Cantona. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, nothing to do with shrimps and trawlers. But um, uh, preparation is everything. Focus is the key. It's easy to say you've given it all on your pitch, but if you prepared better, you'd have had more to give and you'd have, you'd have performed yeah. better on the day. And that, you know, that kind of that bit was really. You have an extraordinary capacity things. for remembering quotes. No, I've got the same. I've got four. <laughs> 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 but de deep practice over many years of saying the same thing. So, uh, but but the, the quality of preparation, but being being so key, and you know, from a sport perspective, I've often talked to athletes about you know, the performance begins when you choose for it to begin, mm. not when you get on the field of play or when the whistle goes. When do you want it to begin, and then when do you want it to finish? Because those things are within your control. And it sounds like you've got a, a a brilliant combined approach of your performance from end to end with all of those bits in the middle. The bits that we see. I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't say that. I mean, I think. I, I think I'll do. You were saying that, that it's never ready. I mean, I never. I never the night before a trial think right. Brilliant. <laughs> Going to watch Netflix. It's all ready. It's all done. done. <laughs> never. Um, do you, would you ever feel like that? No. And and sometimes you can be as ready as you are ever going to be, and then walk into the courtroom and somebody can say one thing and it can turn the whole, the whole case thing, on its head. Yeah. And what you've prepared for the last four months just is shut away because it's people because because somebody said one thing that's just going this is just taking a complete turn mm -hmm. and bizarrely at that stage it's all in your head yeah because it's taken that turn yeah. because you know the case you've prepared the case you know exactly what's coming but because somebody's just said that one thing in court whoever that might be the whole thing just slots into place and 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 you can close the book and you know exactly where you need to take that case for success yeah um, time is up, but that, that last point gives me a great thought just into you know, the ongoing challenge we all have of, of being as ready as possible, but trusting our judgment and experience to be ready to adapt as well and know that we have the skill to prepare, but the skill to respond and adapt as well. And, and, and if we know both of those are present, it builds a robustness to the confidence that kind of allows us to step into the known and the unknown with, with equal enjoyment. Almost, yeah. mm -hmm. um, which is great. Uh, fascinating that the, the double act is, is amazing here on stage and no doubt is, is part of the, the reason for the 100% record as well. Um, I was told, Saf, it would be difficult to stop you talking, so I am going to... No, it's true, I've still got loads of time. <laughs> which is great, but look, thank you so much. And, uh, it's been fantastic.